This is a story of sorts, the podcast mostly about bookish stuff. Hello everyone, Karina here. On this episode I chat with Silvana Sode, CEO of the Writer's Guide to the Galaxy. Silvana talks about her work managing writing groups and workshops in Rotterdam, about gentrification and how the Writer's Guide to the Galaxy started with a wish to combine writing with wine. Have a listen. Hi Silvana. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Would you like to start by uh, introducing yourself? Yes, I am. I don't really know how to pronounce my name in English. It's Italian originally, so Silvana. And in Dutch they say Silvana, which is pretty ugly, but okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's very pretty in Italian though. Yeah, I know. Yeah. In Portuguese we would also say Silvana. That's why I didn't ask. I just said it (laughs) as it felt right. (laughs) Yeah. Do you... Is it sil or maybe more like sil? I don't know in Portuguese. I, probably the same as Italian. I think I so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am the CEO. Do you say it? It sounds so pretentious. It is. <laughs> like it the, is oh, what it is. That's what you is. are. <laughs> CEO. I'm the boss. No. Uh, of the Rights Guide to the Galaxy, which is, I call it a center for written word. We do some spoken word, but mostly written word. And we offer like courses, uh, classes, workshops, all sort of literary and writing events for um, young and upcoming writers in Rotterdam. Since the pandemic, even beyond Rotterdam, because we're (laughs) doing a lot of uh, things online now. So people from all over uh, are joining us, which is really nice. And how long has it uh, been going on? I think we started about six and a half years ago, but like really, really small. Um, I was uh, at that moment teaching creative writing at another place, and uh, which was more sort of a traditional um, uh, school or, or course center. And I had some ideas about doing things differently, mostly having uh, wine uh, while teaching. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> sounds amazing. great. Why yeah, not? it really helps. <laughs> no, but it was like more of a like it was where I was teaching was traditional school, and you yeah you couldn't have anything basically, and the classes like they ended at ten, and then uh, the, the the concierge or janitor uh, uh, put you out of the building, so it was a bit strict. So I thought that we could do this differently and more yeah like more low key and more chill and not just. Um, because people are doing this in in their free time it's not a school people are doing this to uh, educate their their selves and it should be a little more fun I think and not uh, like if you're going to school Uh, my boyfriend had uh, a space Um, he had at that time like a design uh, uh, company with his brother and in the night they weren't doing anything so he said you could use that so that is really how it started with like just six people one uh, writing group the secret society of writing ninjas uh, which still exists by Mm -hmm. the way but it's a little bit bigger now so that's really how we started and I didn't really think of becoming like the, the organization it is today I just thought oh it would be fun to have like something extra But um, like the formula with wine. (laughs) (laughs) So that was like the the basis. That was the basis. We're going to write, but with wine. Yeah, with wine and sort of more like a homey environment instead of really Mm -hmm. a school environment. And it really, really worked. I figured it out like, I think the first 
um, meeting or the second, it, we noticed that it was much like it worked better. It sort of the creative creativity was more flowing. So then I continued doing that. And like the next semester, there were two groups. And then um, one of the guys uh, made like a joke um, when he didn't like you have homework every week, but a lot of people don't really write uh, or send it in on time. So he joked like we should have like a night shift where we just write. Uh, like the whole night so we can finish our homework and I thought oh that's a great idea let's do that so we did that and then I thought oh we should do a workshop and so it sort of grew not really intentionally but organically and yeah now we're here (laughs) that seems very fast like six years and a half and now it's just like this community more than anything but did, did that something come to you by yourself did you decide okay I don't have this and I would like something like this so I'm going to create it myself or was it like more a group it's a little bit of of both I think so some things I I come up with myself I think especially we're also um yeah we're sense for creative writing but it's we also have I joke like a a hidden it's not so hidden feminist agenda intersectional Mm -hmm. feminist agenda and I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> really feminist myself. And, and I have been, I don't know, since I was like 13 or something. So I think a lot of those sort of events uh, I come up with. But a lot of other things, it's, it's also like then a student or maybe say, oh, I really would like, I don't know, a workshop about um, dialogue or uh, how to uh, create characters. And and I really listen to what what people are saying and and what their needs are. So I try to organize uh, also that sort of thing. Like most of our courses are in Dutch or I think everything, but we get a lot of questions uh, about uh, offering courses in English as well. So uh, like next semester, we have uh, our first writing group completely in English taught by mm-hmm. a native speaker, a teacher. So it's just, it, it's a bit of both. I really try to listen to what, what people want. And and I have my own secret hidden. <laughs> <laughs> and how many people are now, right now, behind the, sne- the scenes helping out? Um, well, I'm sort of organizing uh, everything. Um, everything. Yeah, because that's a lot like people you're going to talk later about everything that you're organizing but from what I see on Instagram what I follow it's a lot there's a lot of courses workshops wow yeah 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 but it's like the organizing is basically uh talking with the teacher putting it online uh, doing some Instagram posts so it's 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 not that it's uh not a lot of work but it's kind of manageable because like um, we have uh, eight, next to myself, I also teach, but eight teachers who um, like like our regular teachers and they really decide the whole program, how they are organizing their course, just they do that. Like the creative part of that is all them. So I don't really interfere with that at all. And I think that's the most work. How um, do you teach people? So uh, that's a big part and I don't do anything with yeah. it. I completely trust them to- uh, So you just really delegate- you just delegate who does what and and then they take care of the well um i sort of ask people to teach here um who i consider like are great writers and and have like sort of same mindset or 
really understand what the writer's guide is. So um, I just trust them to do, yeah, to teach and, and um, they're, do, they're doing really great. So I don't really interfere with that. And yeah, since January, we are uh, part of the culture plan. Mm -hmm. I don't really know how to say that in English, which basically means that we're getting structurally subsidized by the uh, town hall of uh, Rotterdam. Mm -hmm. It's really great. And now we have budget for some additional people who can help. So today I had a talk with um, our new uh, social media marketeer. So I'm getting help with that as well. And yeah, and, and that makes us, we're able to grow now because it, it was sort of doable. No, I'm kind of lying. It was pretty <laughs> busy. Yeah, I can but, imagine. Because <laughs> you're yeah. saying, it kind of sounds very simple the way you put it, but organizing things is, it is a lot of extra work. Even if you like what you're doing, it's a lot of extra yeah. work. No, it was pretty, it was a lot of work, but it, it was sort of, manageable or just but the point is that it i was like at my uh, maximum capacity <laughs> and i couldn't do more and i really want to because we get a lot of questions um even like things we don't offer now so people ask about for example screenwriting courses or songwriting courses which we don't offer now but i think yeah i want to organize it as well but i can't because i'm just a human being yeah. So now with um, the, the subsidy or funding from the, the town hall, we can do uh, a lot more, um, which is really exciting. So uh, yeah, for the next four years, we can use to gradually grow uh, the writer's guide and yeah, do even more. <laughs> before you were basically also dependent on the help of the students, right? Economically, I mean, mostly it was um, by the goodwill of, of the people um, doing the workshops and also uh, maybe maybe even like buying a coffee or something uh, on the apps and giving what they could spare? No, no, no. It's like um, for most of our activities, you just, you have to pay. It's like mm -hmm. you, you buy a ticket. So because we want to offer uh, like our activities to all people, um, it's like in comparison to other creative writing institutions, it's pretty cheap. So that's so part of the funding comes from like what people pay for tickets. And the other part, it was like, you call it project subsidy. So it's, it's also a type of funding, but it's just for one project and mm -hmm. it's not for like your whole organization. So it's way less money. And it's also a lot of uh, work to um, apply for that because you have to write like plans and make budgets. And it's a lot of work for like, <laughs> not that <laughs> Not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So what not what is nice about the culture plan it's it's for four years, which is a quite a long time. And they also subsidize like the CEO salary, which project subsidies don't do, and more of like and your rent and like the basis as well, not just yeah, th th this is going to be really technical. So uh, we did have like incident, how do you call it? Incidentally, I don't know, like funding, but it was not structural. So it was mm -hmm. a little bit there, a little bit there. And um, yeah, so it wasn't in, it wasn't really enough to keep the whole organization afloat alive. So we're really happy about the support from the town hall. How do you build 
something like that because that that's my my greatest curiosity i think it's how do you have an idea like this i want to build a writing community how do you make it true like how do you make it work yeah this is going to be a disappointing answer but i didn't really have this idea. <laughs> i'm sorry i didn't really have this idea it's sort of just gradually happened so i never thought that it did that that it would succeed like this so i started with a small group of six people and and they really liked it and then mm -hmm. there were like 12 people and they liked this as liked it as well and i'm like daily surprised so i don't know what happened but like on instagram the last two weeks we had like we gained like a hundred followers in in two weeks which for me is like a lot maybe for uh, other <laughs> like for influencers it's nothing but i think it's a lot for a writing community and i always like daily i wonder where where are these people coming from how do they know us i'm just i'm, I'm like <laughs> i don't know how it, i'm sorry i don't really know how how it how it because happened. let's start just with the six people. It was basically you had six people were interested in doing this with you. And then you had a place already, right? Yeah. Um, and then everything else was just through social media. You just got more known and known or people were just talking with friends and they started yeah. joining in. Yeah, I think so. Like, um, I think we started with a Facebook page. So mm -hmm. this was like six years ago. Then people were still on Facebook. And I did have like a newsletter, but like, I don't know, maybe with 40 people or something. <laughs> That's a lot <laughs> already. <laughs> yeah, well, it was like ex-students, I think, because I already taught creative writing for... I think for about four or five years. So I did have a little bit of experience and I knew some people who were interested in writing. So that helped. Yeah, I think through social media and, and, and like, yeah, people talking about it. Yeah, I always kind of, when, when new, new people come here, I, I always ask like, oh, how do you know the rights guide? And it's, yeah, social media or um, someone recommended it. So that that's also nice. Yeah, but I'm still always surprised about the growth. And I think it's also a good thing that I didn't re really, I never fully realized what I was doing, or maybe I, I, <laughs> I don't know if I would have <laughs> done it, or I don't know. That it sounds really dramatic, but yeah, it's just I really would like to have this narrative that I came up with this brilliant idea one night and I just did it, but it it didn't work for me that way. It just happened gradually, and yeah, and I liked it, so I continued doing it, but. Yeah, I'm still surprised. <laughs> but it's usually like that, I think. Most people who find themselves, uh, that seems like something happened from one day to the other. There's usually a, a few years behind of work and then things gradually happen. So. Yeah, it doesn't really, like like I said, I already taught creative writing for a couple, couple of years. And before that, I really did work, I worked with a, um, also a literary foundation who do like um, projects to encourage young people to read more. So I already was uh, working in like, yeah, literary uh, Rotterdam for some years. I think it's 15 years now. So yeah, I did have like uh, some experience and a network. So it didn't came out of the blue. Uh, <laughs> that's true. But more like, the, the writer's guide as a whole, I didn't really, yeah, when I started, I didn't really have idea that, that it would be like this, but then, you know, when you think you see the things um, that people like 
what you're doing, um, you get sort of ambitious and try to do more. So it, yeah, that also happened uh, gradually. Right now you have like a headquarters, like you have a physical space where people before pandemic could join in. How did that come about? Well, it's still the same space. So my boy, like my boyfriend, he offered the, the, the space at the time in the evening, but then uh, he and his uh, brother sort of quit their uh, design uh, uh, agency thing. And I really took over the space also very gradually, first in the evening, then also in the weekend. And now it's like, it's all mine. So <laughs> I sort of did. And also we have, which is like the worst timing ever, last uh, March, uh, the first of March, I signed like the lease on the second space right next Mm -hmm. to our space at the Gouvernestraat uh, with the idea, oh, we can even do more courses. But then, of course, the pandemic happened pandemic. and the room is never used. It's still there and never used, empty. So that's a bit of a pity, but I hope um, that we can use it very soon. So we have like two spaces next to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because usually there's a big issue I always find for groups who want to assemble is location. Because, for example, I... I um, had an interview I interviewed Esme the here oh, yeah. from Born to Death book club and I remember that we were meeting up at Capsa Maria and it was really nice except that at some point it was becoming a bit too loud and then we didn't have anywhere to go yeah the location is so vital sometimes to to be able to to do these things and to gather with people nowadays it's more online of course but when things get back to normal hopefully someday they will <laughs> yeah no, it, it really is. But yeah, I talked to uh, Esme about it as well. That's why we also um, offered to do Shut Up and Write, her uh, writing event um, with us. Fortunately, the book club is also in the, it, it was all, always in the evening and, yeah. and we have um, like classes in the evening here. The thing is that if you have a book club and you meet, meet like once a month, it's not really worth the rent to, to of course. space. But we have like, again, pre-corona, we have like events almost every day so then it's really worth the space and we're also like in a, a small part of uh, Rotterdam which isn't gentrificated yet so it's also uh, affordable which is nice um, the like the gentrification is really coming close though so I'm, 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 I'm kind of afraid because I can't <laughs> yeah. can really afford those prices but yeah spaces is it's really becoming a problem in Rotterdam I hope um, they'll figure out something it's not just for yeah. It's for also also for artists like like studio space. It's it's becoming a really big problem, and that that I don't think it was ever as big a problem as it is now. Because Rotterdam before we became popular had enough of space. Yeah. Um, but now it's all saturated. Um, yeah, they just I, I yeah. I think no, it's the, okay. The, you can you can talk about it. I mean, we we are here to kind of think about that because I work in the south as well. I work at the Phoenix Food Factory, and yeah. you do see that. You do like I've only moved to Rotterdam two years ago, but you do see the the um, the places around you changing and these very big buildings growing that you know the rents are not affordable in a place in town that before was like people didn't really want to to go live there maybe. You know, like it was more affordable there. So I don't, yeah. I don't know enough to talk about it, but this is like the idea that I get even from someone who's not from here. Even I get that idea. So just feel free to talk about it. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's like a sort of a different subject. It's becoming more political, but I think it's like a real worry. And 
before, let's say 10 years ago or something, like there were a lot of neighborhoods in Rotterdam who they weren't really, um, <laughs> I don't know how to say it diplomatically, they were like pretty bad neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And uh, Town Hall really like enjoyed artists, uh, invited artists to, to have studios there and really sort of make the neighborhood nicer. The same was with the Phoenix Food Factory. So like Katedrecht was, <laughs> it was really bad. Yeah. Uh, like 10, 15 years ago, it was really, really bad. And yeah, you have like these group of uh, entrepreneurs or, or creative people who come there to pioneer and, and like make it really good. And then at the, at the exact moment that, that like the whole neighborhood, it's, it's getting nicer. So they have to move because then there has to be a museum where really nobody asked for. And it's sort of, yeah. yeah, that sort of thing kind of pisses me off because you you invite people to invest in like a neighborhood and, and you use their creative cre creativity. And at the, yeah, and um, when it starts paying off, you just cast them aside. That's not right. Yeah. And it's always, of course, uh, special with artists is always people, it always, all boils down to money in the end. And they don't really care about investing in those artists, even though they are helping create a better place. Yeah. So it's yeah. A... Yeah, it's not fair at all. But um, this is a policy from the, the town hall. They really try to make Rotterdam a nice place to live because it was pretty, pretty bad before. And I do understand it, but I think they're sort of focused on like attracting rich people or more wealthy people to the city. And they don't really care what happens to the poor people who always have lived there. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's, it's, it's like, it's a good thing that they want to make it nicer because what, like I said, it was pretty bad and unlivable in some areas. So that's a good thing, but not at the expense uh, of the people already there. Yes. Of course. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit sad that uh, instead of, I think it is a bit sad that it has, of course, the government, I think they have means to focus on restructuring a place if they do want it and make it nicer without the people living there who doesn't, might not have many means be taken out of the scene and without having to pay higher rents and stuff like that. But it never happens that way, unfortunately. No. No, it really would help if um, we stopped voting FFD or right wing. Listen yeah. to the people. And yeah. by people, because I, I have this feeling there were actually, we had elections in Portugal this weekend and we have a fascist party and it came in third, but almost second. And it's terrible because I have this feeling that people, when they vote, they vote for themselves. And I think that as a... Um, a person in a society, you can't vote for yourself. You have to vote for those who are worse off than you. You got to see, check your privileges and check who is worse than you are and what that government is doing for them. Because you are probably not going to be very affected by the majority of, uh, of things that happen. And I don't think people do that. I think a lot of people are like, okay, which are the candidates and what can they do for me? Yeah. Without looking around at what can they do for the people who are worse off than me and what are they doing for them? It's it's very sad. I know. Yeah, I think there are people who, who vote just for them. But I also think there are a lot of people who are sort of 
misled by politicians. So I've noticed like our sort of fascist party, uh, the, the PVV, a lot of their talking points are really like socialist talking points. Like for instance, lately they um, uh, said that there should be, should go more money to healthcare, like to um, support the nurses who are working like really hard, which is, they're absolutely right. It should, mm -hmm. but that's more of a, like a labor uh, uh, talking point or socialist talking point. So I think they sort of steal leftish talking points because a lot of their supporters are also like uh, working class people who are really struggling. But the whole thing is what they're doing is that they're not being honest. Like the reason why uh, a lot of working class people are struggling is because of policy of like a right wing government who did really take away a lot of programs and stuff. And they lay the blame with immigrants, especially Muslim immigrants who have nothing to do with this yeah. whole thing. <laughs> so, but people be kind of believe that because for them, it's more easier to believe, oh yeah, my Syrian neighbor gets this house and my daughter can't. Instead yeah. of, oh no, this is the result of like a really, like a complicated policy thought out by. So that's, that's I, too complicated to understand, I think, for, for a lot of people. So it's easier to, to believe those lies, really. So I don't know. I'm like, I'm not a politician and I, I don't really know uh, what the solution is, but I don't think like, so I, I see like a tendency from the left to sort of picture people who vote for like PVV or they're sort of to, to paint them like idiots. Like what Hillary Clinton just said, like a basket of deplorables from Trump supporters. And I don't think that's completely true. Mm -hmm. These are also people with like, I think, real concerns and yeah. that are just being misled by, well, politicians like Geert Wilders and, and stuff, and people like him. Yeah, because there are different types of misery, in a sense. And it's, I think, sometimes it's very difficult for people to understand, where's my privilege when I'm struggling? Yeah. It's very yeah. difficult when you are struggling to see that someone else is less privileged than you. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that is, that, that's a really good point. Yeah, the problem, I think I have more with people who aren't, really struggling and still have yes like more middle class people but like really poor people i don't really blame <laughs> yeah that's it sounds really but don't really i don't oh, don't blame them i don't get mad when they say stuff like this because i think yeah you're you're hurting yourself you don't really know it's it's more that's like why it's sort of it sounds really bad but like i sort of understand why people vote for uh pvv um because like they have some sort of talking points or policies that benefit like working class people but i don't really i don't understand why those same people tried to, like vote for cherry baudet or the the form because that he that just hates hates spewing yeah but it's also he's ridiculous so <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what he's doing so i don't really understand that I think it would be good if like the left-wing party sort of embrace like those um, social policies for working class people. I think that mm -hmm. would really help uh, better healthcare, more housing, that sort of thing. Um, free child, uh, child care. care uh, yeah. Child care. Yeah. That sort of thing. 
Well, this uh, I wasn't expecting to have a politics <laughs> conversation, but this was really nice. <laughs> but of course, yeah, with gentrification, uh, especially oh, yes, in the arts, right. in the arts center, in the arts um, side, always comes uh, comes up, obviously. Yeah, and also like what I said, I uh, I consider myself a feminist, which is also political, and we do a lot of political things. So it's not like I'm not uh, very involved, of course. Yeah, in some way, like not directly. I don't. I'm not a member of a politic uh, political party or anything. But I do think it's really important, um, also for writers, to have some sense of uh, your position in a, in a, in your com- uh, community or in society. And I think you have maybe not all writers. Some uh, also write for well entertainment, but it sounds like degrading, and I don't really mean it like that, because we need that as well. But I kind of enjoy writers who also say something about the time they are living and to have some sort of perspective to perspective on that and teach us something. Because art should be, what could be, maybe should be political. I don't know who said it, but... Yeah, I think not all art, because sometimes you just want to forget everything and, and, and like read a space opera or... Um, just like or really cheesy romance novel because that's also definitely in a sense it's also <laughs> political because you really need that as a form of self-care I mean if you're like always on top of the news and everything it gets it can get a little bit depressing so sometimes you just need to escape and I think we need artists as well who offer that so we need both like the really political ones who make us think and just the ones who make us forget uh, the world I think both are very important and some can do both in one book which is yes. like yeah <laughs> <laughs> um with COVID-19 of course we always it's funny because I think this year my podcast it's going to be asking everyone how are you dealing with a pandemic like not personally but also especially artists and writers publishing etc but in this case, the pandemic forced a few activities to that, that you organized to stop, I think, temporarily, and others continued online. Which were the biggest differences before the pandemic, now, and in relation to the, to the activities still happening? Um, I think we eventually moved everything online. Uh, at first, I was afraid to do that because I really uh, didn't know how it would out- work out, but it, <laughs> it really worked out. <laughs> so we Even- just... Even the night shift and everything, right? Because yeah. I was talking, like on episode three, I talked with uh, Esme about yeah. Shut Up and Write. Because we kind of, I, I was in one of the events online and I kind of realized that it was not the same as in person and that, that I wasn't paying as much attention or doing the same work as I was doing in person. So I kind of stopped. And then she also decided to stop because it wasn't working. But with you, you just continued. Yeah, I think uh, we did one shut up and write online. Yeah, of course, it's different. Like we do the night shift, which is sort of our, our own uh, event. So shut up and write is from the Board to Death book club. And we hosted it when, when it was still here. No, it, it is absolutely different, but it works in a different way. So yeah, we have been doing the night shift monthly. And it's a bit um, like usually the night shift here. Um, oh, for people who don't know, it's like an... an 
uh, writing session uh, through the whole night. So you come here with your laptop and you just write and on uh, whatever you want. Usually we started at like 9.30 p.m. until four in the morning. And now it's I'm like, I'm dead and sleeping at midnight most of the time, especially if I'm writing. <laughs> yeah, we also started doing a morning shift, but we had like yeah. one uh, edition in September when it was still open. So then we started at, I think it was seven till one with breakfast, which was also great. No, but the night shift, how we do it now is we start at eight, like in the evening until midnight. So that's like, it's, it's, it's not as long. No, of course, it's, it's less, how do you say it? It's less, yeah, gezellig, <laughs> cozy. <laughs> You can use that word because there's no translation for it. No but it, yeah, it's cozy and you yeah. have the company. <laughs> yeah, and here it's it's um, like when it's here, it's more of like a var- warm, homey vibe. So online it's a bit different, but I do notice that the people who are coming are still very productive. And uh, there's always, um, I think, about 10 people who come to the uh, night shift. So that's pretty good as well. No, so yeah, it is different, but it kind of works. I've noticed that that maybe that's like a writer thing, but we have a lot of students who are sort of introverts and who prefer staying at home in their pajamas anyway. Yes. So even when there's no, not a pandemic, so they're, yeah, they're having the time of their life. Also, like we do literary events or we have like open mics and stuff like that. Those were the events that I was really afraid to do online because I think that I thought it wouldn't work. And then I think in May or something, I, I thought like we postponed some events. And in May, I thought, yeah, but what am I going to do with those? I, I don't I didn't want to cancel them. So I thought, fuck it, we're, we're just trying to do them online and we'll see how it how it goes. And I think the first one was the feminist open mic we have, mm-hmm. mic of one's own. And we never had that many participants, public. It was crazy. So wow. it was like, yeah. And then I thought, <laughs> okay, this works. This works. <laughs> because, and it was like the last event we did, like a last open mic we did was in uh, November, uh, which was like autumn. And, and it was so, it was... Uh, there were a lot of people, I think about 40, 45, which for us is a, is a lot of people. Really, you don't like literary events. It's different than concerts or <laughs> something. Oh, so no, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I, I would say, yeah, 45 people, it's already a lot of people. Even sometimes yeah. for concerts. I mean. <laughs> yeah, so, it, yeah. But what, uh, which, uh, what was really nice, so I asked people to keep their, it, it, it's basically a Zoom meeting and um like everyone is on mute but i asked them to keep their cameras on so you have like an uh, artist or the writer see who, who they're talking to and i was like so happy because you can i was looking at, at like the people who were there and then i saw like several people on the couch with like a blanket and potato chips like they were watching television or something and they were like watching uh, all the performances and, and, and one girl was like uh, coloring in the coloring, you know, yes. the adult coloring books, because that's why not? Like you yeah. can cozy up at home and just listen to feminist performances. So that was like a whole, I never expected that people would treat it like, yeah, like that, like 
um, putting on a podcast or a television. So instead of like going out, like usually when we do the uh, open mics, like people dress up and, you know, it's like an event, but now it was like a sort of home, homey event. Yeah. It must be very nice for people as well to be able to watch it without having to leave the house. Speak for myself because there are so many events now, especially international, that were like in at bookstores and and stuff like that of yeah. presentations that you couldn't watch, um, yeah. even interviews. And now suddenly everything is open for you. I know it's not the same; you you don't get the same feeling, but at least now you have the ability to like the, you can. Yeah, uh, I kind of like it because um, like before the pandemic, well, I worked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and like usually when I had a, an evening off or I didn't really, really want to go anywhere. So I kind of missed a lot of things. And now, um, like I think last week or maybe the week before uh, Frontal, which is also a literary, po- uh, uh, um, how do you call it? Literary evening. It's an after- event. Yeah. A literary event. Um, they had their first online edition as well. And uh, it was like on a Sunday afternoon. And I, I just... Uh, stayed in bed like in my pajamas with a yeah. blanket and I was watching and I, I I really enjoyed it I'm so yeah maybe I'm not like most active person but I kind of liked not having yeah. to go out and you know put pants on and makeup and talk to other people <laughs> so I kind of enjoyed that I'm probably going to miss all the online stuff and staying in your pajamas the whole time when uh, everything is over. Yeah, because everything is very easy as well. You don't have to worry about half of the things that you have to worry about when you go out. You're just like you put your computer, it's on, you're there on time and that's that. It's a lot easier. Yeah, I do hope that it will become like socially accepted to go out in your pajamas. I yes. really would like that, like everywhere. And to take because like I your blankets. <laughs> Yeah, just bring your pajamas, bring your blankets and just go to the theater. I really hope we are keeping that because it's so comfortable. Definitely. Agree. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the, um, the activities that uh, that you are hosting in 2021? But there's a lot. <laughs> we have time. <laughs> okay, so, um, okay, I, I try to... Well, if you want to see what we have, like the easiest way is just to go to the website, which is uh, www.thewritersguide.nl. And then you see everything we have. Well, first we have classes and we have like everything from beginners to advanced. And uh, most of it is uh, short story writing. We do also have a feminist poetry class and we have like a couple of classes where you get a little bit from everything. So a little bit of story writing, uh, uh, columns, essays, poetry, weird stuff. Um, We have children's uh, uh, stories uh, class. So a little bit of of everything, but basically it's all is creative writing. So fiction and more focused on stories, but we want to expand on poetry, screenwriting, that sort of thing, but that that will happen. And like for several um, levels, as if you're like, you have never written anything at all, we have a course. And if you're really experienced, we also have um, what what are called writing groups. So that's not a traditional course, but it's basically um, you write on your own stuff. And like once every two or three weeks, um, you come together and, and you give feedback on each other's work and you get feedback from the teacher. And we have several of those groups um, 
who are called the Secret Society of Writing Ninjas. And we have like a advanced advanced group. I call it for like their Hermione's uh, under the writers, which is called the Order of Overachievers. And yeah, we also have people who are like, who already have published a book by um, the publisher who are writing on their second book. So that that's for like sort of professional writers. So that, those are the courses in writing groups. And then we have, and those are all for like four months, five, uh, five months, like for um, a longer time. We also have work. Is any of that, sorry to interrupt you, but is any of that in English? Or are you just going to start now with uh, any yeah, English? Yeah, we have, we're going to start now um, with one uh, writing group, which is also called the Secret Society of Writing Ninjas, but then an English edition. So that's the only uh, English uh, one we have now. But we also want to expand that. But also, yeah, <laughs> we have to see how, how, how it goes. And um, like the English writing group, is also completely online, um, even when after the pandemic, it, it will be online. So not only people in the Netherlands, but like the whole world can join. Great. Yeah, we're keeping some of our courses online as well, because we've noticed that uh, some people enjoy uh, online teaching uh, for the reasons I just said, like <laughs> staying in your pajamas. But it's also, uh, I think, like for example, I lived in very small town, small towns all my life, and there was nothing there, especially international stuff. And it would have been so cool to just uh, be able to join in from there, in a place where you know there's more people, there's more interest in this thing. So that that's really cool. Yeah, well, we've noticed like um, we were sort of forced to go online and, and like this semester, everything is online and we have like people from all around the Netherlands and what you say also like small villages and um, we get emails like, oh, it's so nice. It's online. I can finally join. And like what you said, here's nothing. So because a lot of these sort of courses are like Amsterdam, even in Rotterdam, there's not a lot and Utrecht maybe, but that's sort of it. And we also got people like we did, I think November, we did a workshop and I think about half of the people were, no, not maybe half, like one third were from uh, Belgium, like Antwerp, mm -hmm. uh, Brussels, which was also great. And then I thought, wow. oh, I go international. <laughs> yeah, especially like Antwerp and in Brussels, they're big towns. Yeah. and You and should have your own. What are you doing? <laughs> well, they probably have, but like, this was a really specific intersectional feminist mm. feminist workshop. And I don't think there's a lot of those, maybe. I don't know. I don't so, know either. I lived in Belgium for eight years, but I, again, I was closer to the border with the Netherlands. Like I was closer to Eindhoven than I was to Antwerpen or Brussels. So um, you're also going to talk, I think, about the, the other activities that oh, yeah. you're hosting. But uh, more, not so much workshops, I think. I think you're going to start talking about more um, the writer's guide. Sorry, not the writer's guide. <laughs> the, the, the feminist prose, the, the, the spoken word. Oh, no, I was going to, I think I was going to say um, that, yeah, I, was, I, I explained like we have like longer classes or courses. And we also have like workshops, um, which is like just an afternoon for, for people to try out things things and at the moment we have like a series which is called textual politics uh, which is an intersectional feminist workshop and by uh, several authors 
And the last thing we have, we call it like literary events or writing events, which are open mics. Um, yeah, that sort of things. Also feminist open, <laughs> open mics. That's really sort uh, yeah, a platform for our students to um, share what they have written in the courses or in the writing groups with the public. Because that's also a thing I've noticed is that we, a lot of people work here on their writing, but then there's not really a place to share that with other people, which is sort mm -hmm. of the thing. So that's why we uh, organize these, these uh, events so people can share. And when can people start signing up again for the workshops and all that? Because um, by the time this episode goes out, uh, the, the, the workshops will probably be already full, right? Yeah, probably. Um, well, if people are interested, they should check the website and they can see what's available. Um, usually like the longer courses start two times a year in March and in like the end of September, uh, beginning of October. So those are the courses, but then like through whole, the whole year, we have like workshops and uh, the night shift and the open mic. So that's really, yeah. So they can check those out as well. Yeah. But if you want to do a longer course, it's either March or like September, but just check the website, what is available What was the most amazing thing you have experienced while hosting the writers, while managing it? Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry if it's a tough question, but... Uh... <laughs> no, yeah, well, there are a lot of amazing... I think one of the most special things is when one of uh, our students published her first book. It happened uh, like uh, twice that I also went to their book presentation And I really started crying, like I was their mother. It was kind of embarrassing, but I was so even okay. I, I, even thinking about it makes me cry now because so it's sweet. so. Yeah, because you know people have been with you for some time, and they work on their their like their first novel, and then you go to their book presentation, and they're there with like their book, and yeah, that's yeah. You know, you helped out. <laughs> Yeah. You had a and, role in it, of course. Yes. And they're like, they're both, um, how do you call it? The acknowledgements, they yeah. like this as well. And yeah, that, yeah, I think that when I read that, that made me cry. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to, do you want to, um, I actually, I didn't ask you this before, but do you want to say some names about people who are in the group and have been published? Yeah. So, There were two uh, until now were published. The first published first one was Door Jou Ben Ik Mei by Hink van Appema, uh, which is like an um, amazing young, young adult book about um, an interracial gay uh, uh, relationship. So that, that's really nice. And the other one was the second one, uh, Lucia van den Brink, Niemand Zoals Hij, about a young girl who is getting uh, mysterious letters from her grandfather and then goes to Japan to figure out what is happening. Um, so those were like the first two and they were, I think, a half year apart. So it was really close to each other that, that I was really emotional about. But yeah, some other people are, are working on their, uh, on their stuff too. And uh, a lot of like, because we have a lot of teachers, I don't know every student personal, mm -hmm. uh, personally. So um, that's, yeah, that, that's a bit different. But like my group, the one I... Uh, the one you lead? Yeah, lead, teach. I want to say another word, but I don't know it. So it's fine. 
they um like last summer i don't know what happened like they sort of not all but like four or five published like short stories in literary magazines like the one after the other and i was like what is happening yeah. they were yeah they have been working really hard uh, throughout the pandemic and they just send it out to literary magazines and then i was like also like on instagram oh there's another one there's another one there's another one which is also pretty great i really yeah it, it's really amazing when you see like some people you um, teach for like a couple of years and, and you remember how they ca they came like as a beginner yeah. um, how they grew and, and you see them becoming like these complete full evolved writers which is so yeah that's really great and also see that that you're not the only one who enjoys their writing but like it's it's uh yeah other people too and and even like these literary platforms and yeah that that's pretty good one of my students won uh, a feminist poetry award this september which was also amazing and i cried as well i cry a lot that's that's yeah that's good yeah. <laughs> no i'm really proud of them and so there are a lot of these sort of amazing moments and not even like all my students some um sometimes their success is like in a different way so there was another guy one of the first six who um started like he had his or his uh, own startup with um uh, it was like a vegan uh, food box and uh, so it has nothing to do with uh writing but i was still i was feeling really proud as well like oh you did this because I think the first time I taught him he was 17 or 18 years old yeah. and then you see like how people I don't know I feel like a sort of mother to all these uh, kids and it's really nice to see people that young you know find their way in life and it makes me really happy and emotional. That's I mean I find that uh, very normal as well they go into the world suddenly <laughs> and they yeah. do things it's very curious because you are talking about people publishing in magazines I've seen on Instagram two people from the writer's guide who like who are in the writer's guide that published published in uh, a magazine I think that's the name of it yeah and one of them, and I'm not going to say names, but one of them, uh, I know that she talked about how she actually never really wrote. Like she never saw herself as someone who was like a writer or that she was any good at it. And then she started going to to the sessions and she even won an award for that as well, for, for a, a short story that uh, that she wrote. So and that's amazing. People kind of being curious about something and trying it out and realizing, oh, I'm actually better at this than I thought. And now they're actually published in a magazine. Yeah, I think it's also um, so we teach a lot of uh, women or girls or, or people identifying as, as, as female. And um, I think there's also a sort of problem with this that I think that girls are taught from a young age to be sort of modest about their capacities. We yeah. teach boys different things. We teach boys to be more like confident about their work. And for girls, it's more, oh, just stay, you know, humble and, and you'll be just be a nice person. And I think a lot of young women still carry that. So I notice some a, a little bit of a difference, not always, but between young women and young men, in the sense that young women 
do need a lot of encouragement to put this put themselves out there and uh, to say no my writing is good enough I'm going to send it in or or uh, do a, a competition or something so their work like it is already good but they don't really see it because like you understand what I'm, I'm oh perfectly yeah you 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 kind of teach girls as well that um it's another thing that I find curious is how you say that women are jealous of each other but then you tell men are competitive I don't know if that yeah. has ever come to light like if you ever noticed that but a lot of people say oh women can't work together because they're jealous of each other's success but then you tell men are very competitive and being competitive is a good thing and in here is the same you kind of teach boys to just try it out just go for it even if yeah. you don't have all the abilities that they are asking of you try and sometimes yeah. girls they miss like one ability like for example yeah. in a cv and they just yeah. don't apply for the job and men don't yeah. do that so they are not giving themselves the chance to be chosen because they are they think they're not good enough but you know yeah. definitely true it's it's really something that i came to realize how how bad it was when i started teaching um like so we have um courses on different levels but for a lot you just can you know you can buy a ticket and i noticed that a lot of men who uh, were at a beginner's level they just buy a ticket for an advanced class because they think they can do it and the other way around like people who want like women who have 10 years of writing experience studied english or or dutch or anything they had they know what they're doing they want to start at a beginner's level i i it's it's sort of it doesn't, um, it's really good to have a sort of objective assessment of your level and what you are doing. And it's kind of difficult, I think. So like part of teaching is not really, of like the, the biggest part of teaching is not really explaining people like what is um, a narrator or what, how do you write a dialogue, but more like even a sort of therapist saying, no, you can do this, you're good enough, go, go, go. <laughs> like this so we do this a lot and they also encourage each other so in my experience women aren't jealous of each other I find women really supportive of each other like especially here they're so it's it's like even sometimes then when I'm like criticizing their work because I think they should approve then the rest of the students go no I really liked it like and then I think okay you could be less supportive of each other and just listen to me the teacher <laughs> So, you know, um, I think uh, this whole, like maybe the jealousy, it was another time, but it's not my experience, experience with young women at this moment. No, not at all. I'm glad. I'm really glad that because I do think and I do see that things are changing, but yeah. I do uh, maybe maybe the way that I, I grew up and it's different. I grew up in Portugal, so maybe the, the ideas are also different. But this is what I grew up hearing is that, oh, women are just jealous of each, of each other and are jealous of uh, what the other one has. And I always found it very weird how, again, you call women jealous, but then you call men for the exact same things competitive. Luckily, it is changing a lot. And you see like this women supporting women and girls just supporting each other. And it's great. And it's great to see as well that uh, that it's happening in, in the writer's galaxy. I think you're right that there's a lot of changing. I think the last five to 10 years, um, we see incredible changes uh, when it's come on a lot of social issues. And you see like people who have been marginalized 
for centuries are um, finding their voice or claiming their voice. They already had their voice, but you know, there's a lot of uh, and and more and more people are are started are starting to listen. And I think that's really amazing. Like I never thought that it would happen like this. So. Like I'm a bit older, um, like when I was young in the 90s and my father is um, Italian. So he came from a sort of traditional household. I think I was feminist on a uh, young age. Even I didn't really knew that I was feminist at that time. But uh, in, in retrospect, I was. And I also always have found myself a bit weird or like I had ideas that weren't common. And now like I'm getting older and I'm also... Uh, uh, like I'm not the most militant in the group and that's kind of nice that like these young girls are really like they're uh, yeah they go uh, outside and protest like women's marches all those sort of things and I'm kind of yeah it makes me really happy sort of think like I can sort of retire mentally and just (laughs) you do let them do the work which is kind of nice and I never expected that that some sort of like these things are like so common so I knew that 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 when I was like 15 16 I thought I I don't I always was sort of more career focused than like boy focused or uh, a, a home focused and I thought it was really weird uh people told me that it was really weird and now it's just it's not weird it's normal that's that yeah yeah, I got so the same thing. Like I'm I'm 34. Also, like as I grew up, you have like the norm and what is not the norm. And for example, for my generation, it's more normal, but the generation of my brother that is eight years older than me, it was yeah. not normal, for example, to live together before getting married. Yeah. Something like as for us is just super normal nowadays. Um, so there are a lot of uh, of different things, and I I have a lot of hope in newer generations because they sometimes you see them with fifteen, sixteen, and they are so aware of yeah. social problems that I I didn't I wasn't aware or I didn't think about until I was like in my twenties. So I'm yeah. so hopeful for them, honestly. Yeah, me as well. Yeah, it's really great to see it, and and there's still like there's a lot of shit happening in the in the world, and. There's a lot that needs to be done. And also you see some sort of counter reaction at the moment, what we're talking about from like right wing things and men rights groups and all that sort of nonsense. Yeah, but I think that's that's sort of normal. And I hope it's still, it's like temporary. We'll see. Yeah, we don't know what happens, but I, I, yeah, I'm kind of happy to see these girls and young women just, yeah, standing there and sort of, getting the confidence in themselves and in their work and and yeah thinking about it makes me cry as well (laughs) (laughs) you are allowed to cry on this podcast anyone is allowed to cry it here (laughs) what is the most challenging of hosting everything managing everything of being the ceo sort of allowing myself to have unproductive time so this is something i'm i'm still really learning it's sort of dangerous to have like work you really really enjoy because then you're doing it like all of the time which isn't really (laughs) healthy so for me it's really a challenge to do like a whole day of doing nothing and not checking mail and so which I'm incapable of doing (laughs) it's really finding that balance like work and just 
yeah, doing nothing or hobbies. <laughs> I don't really have hobbies. So for me, that's a really big challenge. And I think in the past, I because I was doing like most of the work myself and I still want to do a lot of events that are sort of, I really kind of ignored myself and also my you know, sort of my body as well because I thought no I want I want to do is I want to do is you should do all of this because it's really good it's really nice people are uh, asking for it and I sort of forgot myself in the whole process so even if your work is like amazing you should not do it like 60 hours in the week it's not health it's not healthy so that for me was really the biggest challenge to sort of take a step back, do less events and have more time for myself and sort of, um, well, just relaxing. I was going to ask, what is the most rewarding? But maybe you already answered before. I think it's, yeah. (laughs) No, it's really like everything is, is, it's from like the big moments of, of one publishing a book, but it's also... For instance, on one of uh, Feminist Open Mic, there's the, uh, there was a 13-year-old girl, a uh, student of ours who did like this amazing poem. And I was, yeah, that's also rewarding to see like this 13-year-old girl just standing there or sitting there, it was online. It, like every, I don't know. It's so, yeah, <laughs> everything is rewarding. That's so nice to hear. That's just so great. <laughs> And do you have a tip or advice for someone who lives somewhere without this type of organization and would like to start one? Yeah, just do it and don't really think about it because I I think if you're really thinking about it, you don't want to do it because it's a lot of work. Um, No, I think you should just try and and like if you can, because it's also... um, it does take time and and money in the beginning, so you don't you you need to have that. But if you have an idea and you think it's a good idea, just just try it, and and you can always see if it works. Or um, you you never really know. I think. Well, maybe some things you know that, <laughs> but um, yeah. And I don't, and and like, if you start small, like I did, because when I started, I didn't really have any time or money (laughs) to do it. So I really started small. So it's also not, you don't really have to start really big right away. You can just with like one book club or one writing group or one workshop or just whatever. Um, Or even like, if you want to do something else besides writing, just a knitting group or gardening I don't know just start small and find people who who um like like-minded people who enjoy it as well what we talked about before like women because there I think there was research that women apply to jobs when they have like 100% of the 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 um qualifications and men when they have like 60% yeah so we need to embrace that sort of male mentality even if you think I have no idea what I'm doing you'll figure it out along the way and you can always ask for help there are a lot of people who want to support you people in general are really nice and if you ask them for help they usually give it to you so just try it yeah I love what you just said that people in general are really nice because I do believe that but I hear a lot of people saying that the world is like shite no and I do really believe that people in general are really nice so thank you for for putting the the message out there as well and my experience is is 
this like what i was saying before women really like support other women like in several moments in my career i i i sort of <laughs> didn't know what i was doing and i asked for help and i always got it so uh, by other women mostly yeah no i do believe people are nice even the ones who don't seem nice they most almost all have a really good reason for not being nice uh, usually it's somewhere in their childhood and it has it's the fault of their parents <laughs> no but it's really good to have more empathy uh, as human beings like okay so this person is being an asshole but why is he being an <laughs> asshole a lot of people have good reasons to be an asshole do you have any personal projects that you would like to talk about besides the writer's guide yes like writing or it's no problem if you don't because you already said that it's your hobby as well so <laughs> Well, um, at the moment, I'm uh, really enjoy watching uh, a drag queen Juno Birch playing The Sims. So that's my project <laughs> for the time being. Now, I uh, like the rights guide is a full time job, and I really it is really good for me to do not much besides that, just chill, uh, hang with my boyfriend and with friends, and. Yeah, watch drag queens play The Sims. It's it's really relaxing. So, yeah. And how can people find you online? So the website, which is uh, thewritersguide.nl and Instagram, uh, which is at thewritersguide2thegalaxy. Uh, those are like the sites where you can find like all the info and the ticket links. And Instagram, we put information about our uh, events, but also like writing memes. I love like really cheesy writing memes. And also um, like some writing tips or writing prompts and uh, other like uh, activities um, uh, about writing or literature or books uh, that are happening in the city. Other open mics or uh, book clubs and just other stuff. So you can, if you're interested in reading and writing, you should really follow us. Great. And now this is a question that I make everyone it's the last question of the podcast. An all-time favorite book and a book you would recommend right now. And I got to say, it doesn't have to be one. Just not 20. But it doesn't have to be just one of each. Because <laughs> I know this is a tough question. Yeah, it's impossible for book lovers <laughs> to, to reply to this. So I think the books I read the most are uh, Jane uh, Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen mm -hmm. and Jane Eyre. So I sort of once every two, three years, I read them and I still enjoy them. So they're also really, they're a combination of like being really feminist, but also sort of comforting and escapism. I really enjoy them. And and Harry Potter always was, it was always a favorite of mine, but I reread it last year and I really, really, so it always bothered me how Hermione was pictured, um, but I usually got over it, but this year, it, I, I, I don't know why. It was, yeah, maybe also because of J.K. Rowling's comments about trans women, which also <laughs> really bothered me. I don't know. Um, For me, Harry Potter happened a bit like that. I was like, Harry Potter was kind of like everything. And then J.K. Rowling did what she did. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm, I don't care about this anymore. Like, I can understand you uh, enjoying the books by the, like, from the books, themselves even though there are a lot of problems the way that they depict also the um, um oh i forgot to name it's not the elves but the people yeah, in the, the bank elves. is the elves and no, everything 
Yeah, both. Exactly. Like there's a lot of problems that you kind of find in the books, but especially because of what she said and like the way that she started using her platform, it was really just a question of, I am not going to address it anymore as if it didn't exist. Just, just uh, so, but I haven't read the books in in quite a few years, Um, but I do understand that when people explain this was problematic. You'll kind of remember what you've read and you realize, yeah, I didn't know. But yes, it was actually, it is problematic. But but I think it does happen like that as well. Like you have an, an author that you really like, but then something you kind of shifts that you can't ignore. Yeah, I don't know. I probably changed, but like, okay. So if we're being honest, a lot of literature is problematic. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Like almost everything <laughs> that is written before 2005 <laughs> is problematic. I don't think that's that's not a reason you shouldn't read it. You, sh- you should still read it, even just to know that what has been said. And I think you can even enjoy it. Like I think two years ago, I was reading My Uncle Oswald uh, by Roald Dahl, which is kind of rape after rape after rape, which is, it, it's, it's, it's not good. But it's a really well-written book. So I found myself, I kind of enjoyed it. And I was also repulsed at the same time, which is kind of a weird combination. Um, yeah, I mean, so- I, I bought the new Twilight because that's trash, but it's trash I wanted to go back to. It's trash from my teenage years that I wanted to feel again. And But I, I think like as long as you stay curious about it, as long as you stay critic about those things, I yeah. don't think there's a problem with enjoying just that. Yeah, no, but but I think like there's some sort of tendency, what they call cancel culture, but I don't really believe in it. It's, it's sort of um, <laughs> holding people accountable for what they are yeah. doing. But okay, that's their thing. I don't think that you should really stop reading, enjoying art if a writer is problematic. But in like what you said, you should be critical in what you're reading. And the thing with J.K. Rowling is even before her... Um, comments about trans women I always had a problem with um, uh, Hermione because she's uh, being picked she's like without Hermione like everyone would be dead in book the first book everyone but so she's a genius and she's like the heroine of this story but the book is called Harry Potter that's problem one it shouldn't be called Harry Potter it should be called Hermione (laughs) okay so and then she's being treated like she's like annoying and a know-it-all and like everything why girls tend to make themselves smaller what we're talking about because if you don't if you're being a Hermione you get put down like the whole time so this is really problematic um like the treatment of the house elves is I I don't even have words for that and then again it's Hermione who is like the only one who's coming uh, like standing up for the house elves and and Again, she uh, like she's the only one and the annoying person. Um, I think, uh, yeah, the the, the bank bankers. Yes, uh, <laughs> okay. anti-Semitic completely, especially in the depiction in the movies. Yeah, absolutely. Then there's like fat shaming all over the whole book. Yes, uh, the whole series. So it's like like everything that could be wrong <laughs> with it. It is. On the other hand, it's also really good. And I kind of enjoy how she still, besides having her own problems, explains how like fascism can um, really slowly uh, uh, enter a society and we could learn something from that. So it's not 
um, completely shit. No. Um, no, 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 no. You learn a lot, from, especially like this. The the attitude Ron is a very specific character because Ron is not a bad guy. No. But for example, with the house hell, uh, with the house elves, it just says, "Oh, they like doing that work," which is what a lot of people said of slavery. I know. You know, so it's like it. It's so real in some ways. But that I don't understand about that. That this was sort of the end conclusion about the house elves. I don't get that. That's, I think, the worst aspect for me about the book because, like, um, it was written in, in like, the 90s and then feminism had a different role in society and we thought a lot different about women at that time. But at that time, slavery, I think we have, we were at the conclusion at that time, like, the same conclusion that we were now. So I don't really understand why she sort of left it at that conclusion because in the end, like all the house elves, they, they, they wanted to be house elves except for Dobby. So how, why has no one told her, girl, do you really want to put that in like that? I don't understand that. I don't, I, I yeah. yeah. I, I just... sort of understand the lack of feminism and the fat shaming and all that sort of thing because that's sort of new, but like, slavery i thought we we already had that conclusion in 97 98 or, or yeah yeah i know <laughs> but anyway um <laughs> yeah. yeah this was my favorite my my favorite book of all time but then with like an essay about how it's wrong okay and a book i would recommend at the moment is from one of my teachers of our teachers um it was her deb- debut novel uh, uh simona atangana atangana i pronounce her yes oh no have you read it i haven't because it's in dutch and yeah. it's quite difficult to me. Like I'm right, I'm reading now a few books in Dutch. Like I read At Vogelhuis uh, from Eva Meyer. I'm reading After from Anna yeah. Berfurts. But uh, yeah. that one we keep recommending because, like my bosses at the, the bookstore, they've read it, and yeah, it's so necessary as well. But go on, sorry. No, it's like it's really. Um, I usually don't. <laughs> I don't always enjoy Dutch literature because it's a lot of the same <laughs> controversial statement. It, uh-huh. it's a lot of, yeah, I'm sorry, but I, yeah, it's a lot of the same. So this was really nice because it was kind of different than than normal. Usual. Can you say the title? Because I think I interrupted you before you said the title. Oh, Confrontaties. Yeah. By Simone Atangana Bekono. Um, I kind of what it, like. It's really, really well written. It's um, about this young girl who's in a youth detention center. There's not much happening. Like you're in her head like the whole time, which is extremely difficult for a writer to do because like it's much easier to have like a a mystery or an explosion and like some action. And that's, that's sort of easier. And but to be inside a person's head the whole time, it's like really difficult and she does it really well and I also really what I really enjoy is like the style of of how it's written it kind of evolves in like she it's not that she's getting crazy in there or something but when it gets really intense like the whole the rhythm of the sentences um uh, they get like a whole different vibe and and it's like it's really it's written extremely well yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And also, um, uh, yeah, it really talks about uh, um, microaggressions, uh, racism in a sense, 
but really from a personal view. So that was also really interesting. So it's kind of a heavy theme, but then it's also incredibly funny. I like a lot of times I was really laughing because the main character is, is like, it's really smart, but also like a really funny, witty person. So I was so impressed by, by the whole book, like so, so a lot of different uh, things in one book and I read it in like two days with which also <laughs> never happened <laughs> so yeah I was so impressed and okay so maybe I'm a little bit biased because she is one of our teachers and I know her uh, pretty well and she's also an amazing person so I think I'm, I'm kind of biased but I was yeah I loved it I, really I, do. I only heard good reviews from it I mean from people who go to the bookstore everybody said good things I didn't hear anyone saying one bad thing about it so no she had like great reviews also like it yeah I think it's doing really really well and I'm really happy uh for her um yeah it's some work writing a novel and she finished it during the pandemic which is like she should win an award just for that (laughs) that's that's yeah so um yeah I highly highly recommend that but maybe it's not necessary because everyone is recommending it but yeah, let's hope uh, enough people recommend it or that maybe, I don't know, maybe someone listens to this and decides to translate it to English because that would be very helpful. <laughs> Since it's only... Um, she also uh, uh, published um, uh, a volume of poetry and that got translated into English. Um, um, just recently, I think the, the, the presentation was last week or something. So you maybe uh, can, you can check out her uh, poetry because that's translated. Great. I can check it I out. hope it gets translated as well. Um, I think it would be interesting also for an international public. It, it's really good. Great. Silvana, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. You're very welcome. I had a great time. It was great really talking to you. Thing, so thank you for the invite. Thank you for accepting it. <laughs> you can access today's show's notes via my pod page, which you can find along with all of my social media links at linktree slash Karina Pereira. And there you'll also find a link to a Story of Sorts playlist available on Libre.fm, containing the audiobooks recommended by our guests, which will be updated as the show progresses. If you'd like to give Libre.fm a try, you can use the code of Story of Sorts at checkout to get two books for the price of one. This offer is valid for new Libre.fm members in the US and Canada. Libre.fm is an audiobook platform which allows you to buy audiobooks directly from an indie bookstore. Check them out. If you have enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting A Story of Source on Patreon. Patreon is a platform which allows you to contribute monthly to the podcast in exchange for extra content, such as early access to episodes, a shout-out at the end of an episode and on Instagram, and choosing a theme for me to talk about on the podcast. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash astoryofsorts. I'd also be very grateful if you would simply leave a review and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. A new bonus episode with my reads of February will be uploaded sometime next week, so keep your ears peeled for that. And I'll be back in two weeks with a new interview. I'll talk to you then, and thank you for listening.